When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome everybody to Spark My Muse. Today we welcome a returning guest, Heidi Barr. And I've had Heidi on before on the podcast, as you might remember, and I featured her poetry a number of times and Slouching Towards Radiance, her previous book. But today we're going to be talking about collisions of earth and sky, connecting with nature for nourishment, reflection, and transformation with Broadleaf Books, which I was very happy to endorse. Thank you so much, Heidi, for coming back on. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here today. So in the book, you mentioned that 50% of author royalties are going to Indigenous-run organizations. Mm -hmm. I would like to start off with how you talk about land and sometimes these land attributions alone, you mentioned this, they can leave non-Indigenous people with the sense that American Indigenous people are not still with us and that mm -hmm. um, you know these land attributions can sort of be separated from people in a way where when non-indigenous people mention the land oh this is we're on stolen land from such and such tribes it kind of separates the people from the land and and doesn't exactly respect the people who are still here and still maybe oppressed mm -hmm. and not having a voice like people in dominant culture do so tell me right. about the starting point of your book and some of the things you're doing there yeah, so I start with, you know, land acknowledgement, just talking about, you know, the original inhabitants of the land that I steward now. And, you know, a land acknowledgement, I struggled with it quite a bit. It probably took me the longest to write that section of the book. And it's, you know, a page and a half. <laughs> it's not a not a super long piece. But as a, you know, a descendant of colonizers, essentially, you know, folks who immigrated here from Germany and Norway and, uh, you know, other European countries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I struggled with, you know, is like, it, it's not enough to just say, you know, who was here first, because clearly Indigenous mm -hmm. people are still here. Um, and I didn't want it to seem like some kind of virtue signaling thing, just be like, here's my land acknowledgement and I'm done. Mm -hmm. I tried to be clear in that a land acknowledgement is one small, very tiny step. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of the doorway in to continuing to develop your own action plan to mm -hmm. just support 
healing, you know, decolonization of of the world, which is a huge thing, of course. <laughs> no one yeah. person can do it on their own. Um, but I I tried to view the land acknowledgement as one tiny step. Um, it is not something that you say and then you're done. Yeah. I'm kind of like, you know, being a good ally. It's not something you get to assign yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's something that you have to work for every day. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And it, it goes for anybody who has the, the privilege of being considered a dominant person in culture, culturally speaking, that that's like an apology. Now everything's right. Like right. justice works in these long generational ways because oppression and and robbery and looting has happened generationally too right so it takes a long time to repair Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that got trendy and it's still trendy it's like Mm -hmm. oh well i'm on this stolen land it's like but there's still people out there who were displaced from the land and they are alive and you know there's exactly their ancestors are displaced but they're still there and they're still suffering with poverty and and not being recognized and they have mm-hmm. stories to tell and we're just kind of thinking that well that'll do it's not mm-hmm. really enough so to call call it out is to say these voices still matter they're not just voices of long ago right and they're still they're an important piece of the the story of the world you know indigenous folks are making really important contributions and they need to be heard and acknowledged and supported, lifted up, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And funded, like we need money, right. our money needs yes. to go there and supported and support their work and stuff. So Absolutely. yeah, I just, that's thinking of land attribution as just a starting point. Right. And especially a book about nature connection. I, my thought process was I can't talk about this without <laughs> acknowledging the origins of this land that I'm walking on right now. You mentioned that Minnesota is, is in my words, a, like a mutilated way of saying an indigenous word that means land where water reflects the sky. Mm-hmm. When you talk about collisions of earth and sky and mm-hmm. your place in a specific part of the United States and how you relate to the earth and how you relate to nature, um, maybe you can talk about about your personal starting point, your connection to the earth and the natural world and how your ways of being interconnect with nature in ways that are more robust maybe than, than they were in the past or for maybe just mm-hmm. people in general. Yeah, so I grew up on the South Dakota prairie um, and running around outside was a huge part of my childhood. You know, I, I was very privileged in that. My folks lived out of town. We had a, you know, five acre farm essentially grew vegetables Um, so I was able to spend a lot of time just running around outside interacting with big blue stem (laughs) and you know all the other prairie grasses and and animals and things so that really kind of set me on the path to having just being close to the earth as, as a central part of who I am I got a little bit maybe away from that in say high school or you know early college got kind of sucked into you know just being a young person and classes and dramas and all that stuff. Um, But then I went on to work at a lot of youth camps that were very nature wilderness based. And that kind of kept me, kept me on the path of just feeling like nature is really a central component of who I am. And 
Today I live out of town. Um, I tried living in the city for a short stint. <laughs> it didn't suit me, so I'm I'm happy to uh, be able to live out of out of town. I live close to a little lake, um, and you know, at this point in my life, I don't do a lot of world travel or anything like that. I just kind of I stay home a lot. I work from home, um, but that allows me to really be present here on this piece of land that we're taking care of. And kind of getting into relationship with the the animals that call this place home, uh, the different plants, you know, the the trees, the waters, all of that. So just go, excuse me, going outside every day um, for you know at least a, a short stretch, even if it's not very nice out, uh, is something that's really foundational for me. It's a totally different pace, of course, than. And modern digital life and mm -hmm. you know the algorithms what, what the algorithms push at you to, to get involved with that <laughs> right <laughs> I, I follow you I follow you on Twitter and Instagram and I really enjoy your your thoughts that you put out there in the nature photos and mm -hmm. things like that but it is such a contrast of course when you're out in nature and you can record a couple things to, right. to show them off later mm -hmm. but the, the pace is so like it couldn't be more different right it is. And I, even when I take my, you know, recording device outside, sometimes I think, uh -huh. oh, I don't really want to have this with me. <laughs> but I do want to show people what's going on. So it's kind of that tension is always there. I feel uh, similar to you. And I think you know, this might be, it's going to take away from my experience of really being immersed. But at the same time, mm -hmm. maybe it's a it's an invitation. Like, a, it's here's a window into a different world. And you're invited to right. come into it. But you would have to put that thing down <laughs> to right. come here. Yeah, you know, I always think it when I take a picture or a video, it it takes me out of my experience. You know, I'm yeah. looking at it now rather than mm -hmm. being in it. And, but like you said, it it also could be an invitation for somebody else to go outside. So I kind of have to weigh those things as I yeah move yeah. Forward. I was also thinking like when I have done this, and I've taken you know, maybe like a 20 second video of a stream going and, and there might be someone who is truly stuck in their office and they're not going to get out. <laughs> they're not going to get right. out for 10 hours. Right. But yeah. maybe they could look at that and kind of put themselves in that place where they could actually mm -hmm. go, you know, go somewhere in their mind and, and pretend they're in nature just for those 20 right. seconds. And it, Well, and those, you know, studies have shown that that you know, even seeing pictures digitally of nature can bring your mm -hmm. heart rate down. You know, it, it has positive yeah. health implications. Yeah, I, I heard that too, like it, the negative emotions are, are rewarded more in our brains for, you know, the whole survival stuff. But that if you, mm -hmm. if you actually look, I think it's 13 seconds. If, that can be a long time if you're counting Miss, Mississippi's, you know. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> um, <but if> you're, <laughs> Yeah. It's it's 13 seconds to appreciate something very beautiful in nature, a picture like of a flower or a tree or whatever. That if you mm -hmm. think something's beautiful, that you should actually linger on it for more than 13 seconds, and then it will actually change something in your brain mm, positively. Yeah. And yeah. to think of it in those terms, if you can't possibly get out for a little while outside, that you could actually still get some benefits of looking at somebody else's things. Right that that can actually benefit you. Of course, actually mm -hmm. going there would be preferable, but not everybody's going to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. On page 45, you write, when we open to the true story of land, 
There is no going back to pretending we didn't hear what the land tells us when we truly listen. We can start to connect our own story to that of the land we're on and ensure we are taking strides to decolonize our actions, honor the land's energy, and add the healing necessary for our collective thriving. Just wanted to ask you what comes up for you as I read that. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that comes up for me is that I, it's something I need to continue to do. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. done doing this. Mm -hmm. so I, I wrote that paragraph, but that's something I have to, have to actively practice. Yeah. You know, it's easy to get sucked into, and one, on one hand, you want to be in the here and now, <laughs> but on the other hand, you need to continue to think about what has happened and what is going to happen in the future so you can, mm -hmm. you know, step in the direction that, that needs to happen, taking the history of what has already happened into consideration. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an ongoing practice. I'm pretty sure you're you're kind of living in a situation. Are you like on a like a bi-level house where you have like a basement in that you walk in and then there's a stairs that go up and yep. stairs that can go down? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that was how I grew up too, with a wood burning stove that heated the house and we put mm -hmm. a, a little computer fan on the ceiling to push the air into the back rooms because it was it mm. would get cold and sometimes we turn yeah. on the electric heat. But that's how we heated yeah. our house also. And I love the smell of of the, the wood burning stove, but it yeah. was cold and we had to, you yeah. had to start it every single day, just like you were doing. Um, yeah. And I, I really enjoy, um, you know, for people who are listening to this episode, there's a real lyricism, a, a real beauty to your words. And you can tell, or at least I can tell, cause I know better, but that you're a poet and that's behind how you write. And so mm -hmm. I just wanted to read from page 34, you write, in January, I'm lighting fires again in the wood stove each day, a ritual reclaimed in adulthood after growing up in a house heated only with wood. It feels good to resume this daily practice, the one that connects me to those who came before, who lit hearth fires decades and centuries past, even in far-off lands across the sea. This ritual, that's also a bit of a chore, of hauling logs, splitting them into kindling, clearing the old ashes, stacking up that kindling just so, and introducing flame to paper, quote, marries the mundane to the sacred, unquote. And so I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about this idea of marrying the mundane to the sacred and, mm -hmm. and how yeah. that is centered in some of your ways of living. Yeah, so Robin Wall Kamir said that. It's cited there in the back. Uh, that was her mm -hmm. quote from Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so much of my work is is kind of based in this idea that the ordinary is also holy. You know, the, the everyday actions that you take are a spiritual practice. You know, the, the lighting of the wood stove or the candle, um, the kneading of the bread, walking to the mailbox, you know, those everyday things that are just part of keeping yourself alive or in communication with your neighbors, whatever the case might be. Um, those things are essential and really important for for maintaining that connection to the bigger universe you know that that spiritual presence that pervades everything mm. and later in the book you get more into some of your own story and this a section called claiming who you are mm. and you also invite the reader in and you say um after you've identified the story, take a moment to pause. What message are you getting? 
often reflect on whose message it really is, who benefits from your acceptance of it, and what's really true. And this is interesting because this idea of like co-opting with messages that other people give you or what's mm-hmm. what's good or what's bad, what's acceptable, what's not, and are you allowed to be who you really are, plays into lots of different personality types. And you talk about your personality type as being reserved and quiet and you mm-hmm. kind of getting to be okay with that <laughs> and your own story <laughs> about experiencing a lot of negative feedback for your quiet yeah ways of being and and this kind of pressure to overcome something elemental about yourself. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can explain just a little bit. Uh, I mean, this goes against being quiet, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> explain a, a, a little bit about what you mean in, in foundational ways about claiming your quietness, as you say, yeah. um, and how, how does that work into how you can show up authentically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've always been a quiet person, you know, as a kid, mm-hmm. I write about this in the book, but I used to do this thing called my parents called swallowing my smile, which is if mm-hmm. somebody I didn't know came up and you know, be like, Hi, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. I would kind of bite my lips and look down. You know, that was my way mm-hmm. of coping with with not knowing how to interact with, with people are not feeling comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in our culture, being very introverted and and quiet is not something that is usually celebrated. You know, the it's usually the very gregarious, outgoing, you know, especially kids. You know, mm-hmm. they are paid attention to more. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're heard obviously because they're the ones talking. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, and you know, as I got older, uh, I would. I, you know, I spent a lot of energy as a child, you know, teenager, just trying to figure out, okay, how can I just be more, more, you know, <laughs> less of kind of what I am and more of something that other people are and that, um, you know, is, seems to be more desirable. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, being loud and, and outgoing and things that I'm just not, it's not part of my makeup and eventually, you know, as I got to be older and an adult and writing has been a part of this, I think, as well, figuring out how to get my voice out there in a way that works and writing poetry, that is a way that I can add my voice to the story in the most powerful way I have. Because verbally, sometimes I'm, I, you know, <laughs> I stumble mm-hmm. over my words or I don't say what I really mean because I needed to think about it more. Mm-hmm. Um so I just was able to come to a place where I said, okay, you know what? Quiet, that is fine. And I'm going to own this and it's who I am. And I'm not going to try to force myself to be something I'm not because that takes too much of my energy. And then when my energy is depleted, then when I'm trying to serve others, they're not getting you know, what I could offer if I was using my strengths. Mm-hmm. And it's so exhausting to not be yourself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when I was in that phase of trying to be, you know, just more outgoing and things like that, I was tired all the time. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, ta- it took so much energy to figure out, okay, what am I going to say? <laughs> How am I going to make myself do this? How am I going to get out there and just keep getting up in front and, and doing all that stuff? So mm-hmm. it was a relief yeah. to just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to be who I am. Yeah. That, that was a person recently who just said a, a most powerful simple thing and it, it 
works in this situation we're speaking of now, but in many others. And it's just that other people's opinions don't have to be our burdens. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the opinion that, um, you know, a talkative person is more valuable or smarter or is, is more a pleasure to be around or whatever the opinion is of someone who made that up, who's obviously an extrovert, (laughs) (laughs) right? is a burden to someone who isn't like that. Right. So it doesn't have to be, but it it winds up getting, you know, forced on other people that Mm -hmm. way, because it's really just a preference. You know, it's it's an opinion or a preference, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to turn into some kind of estimation of somebody's worth or contribution or their mm-hmm. you know ability to make their way in the world or, or something like that but it's true that if you're and I've been a teacher and, and I'm and I'll self-disclose I'm extroverted but as I've mm-hmm. gotten older I'm come into the shadow part of myself to be able and and really appreciate quietness and really appreciate solitude and silence and get filled up by those things not just get filled up by connection it's not so much extroversion Mm -hmm. talking but uh, connection is kind of Mm -hmm. what has filled me and learning that but also solitude is extremely grounding you know that that Mm -hmm. I get I get introvert thing (laughs) I get it you know this took a while well, and as you were saying, you know, as as you got older, you were embracing more of the kind of those introverted mm-hmm. qualities, you know, solitude. And as I've gotten older, I haven't, you know, fully taken on the introvert kind of persona, but mm-hmm. I've also been able to come to a place where I recognize that, okay, I do need connection as well. I can't isolate myself. So there has to be a bit of a balance to kind of feel like I'm nourished in a whole, in a wholesome way. Yeah, it's it's not isolation that introverts want. It's just right. less stimulation, maybe you know, less mm-hmm. social stimulation. So th- right. this was the funniest thing that I noticed at, in in COVID on Twitter because Twitter is like the place. It's like introvert heaven or something because <laughs> I noticed it's like introverts just come out and say the things that they wanted to say, but you know they can do it behind the screen yeah. with the protection of the screen, right? And plenty of extroverts too. But mm-hmm. a COVID comes out, lockdowns come out, and they're like, thank God, this is what I dreamt yeah. of. <laughs> I don't have to come out and see anybody. This is the yeah. life I've always wanted. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, you just wait. This is going to yeah. get old. I mean, it's going to yeah. get old for me in about two hours, but in maybe <laughs> two months, it might start getting old for you too. And then, and then you know, there you hear the, the tweets are like, watch out for your extrovert friends. They're suffering right now. And, and the yeah. introverts are like, who cares? It's our time to shine. You know? <laughs> and then, then yeah. one by one, the introverts were like, actually, this is kind of hard on me, you know, and yeah. because it's not yeah. just about isolation, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's about how you get energized and it's mm-hmm. everybody. If you're a human and if you're a mammal, you're going to need some kind of connection right. in a you meaningful way in yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah there was a little I could tell at least in my algorithm there was a little war of the <laughs> introvert extrovert COVID yeah. era thing happening and it really cracked me up because I'm married to the mo- one of the most introverted people I've ever known but he's mm. also in his discovering his shadow has really made a lot of efforts to 
to connect in meaningful ways, not not in a I'm the star of the party kind of way, but really building mm-hmm. community. And that takes a lot of social right. um, investment. Absolutely. I know that sometimes I I never want to go somewhere. If I have something I have to do, I never want to go. But I'm always, almost always <laughs> glad that I did when I get back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But it costs something, doesn't it? Like if you go somewhere, it, it costs something the next day you're tired or something. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Like this week, I'm saving up for Thanksgiving <laughs> holiday, you know, with family. <laughs> like, okay, these, these early weekdays, I'm going to be by myself. I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And I think I've discovered just getting older, too, that it used to be like, oh, the more, the more interaction, the better, the more I go out, the better. And now it's like, you know what I've got in me about two to four hours with mm-hmm. anyone, like with <laughs> even the people I like. So yeah. that's about all I have. And then it, it, there's going to be diminished returns. And so knowing mm-hmm. who you are and not who you think you're supposed to be is so rewarding. And that's one of the mm-hmm. gifts of getting older, even though your body starts to break down. <laughs> right. There's something about learning yourself. Um, learning of yourself well and becoming authentic to yourself that Mm -hmm. can open you up to like much more meaningful occasions yeah I think that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit in you know claiming who you are is all Mm -hmm. about being okay with the person you actually are and and right coming into yourself in, in those some of those new ways yeah kind of riffing off of some of the similar thing in page 52 you say i have to continually remind myself that the world needs more quiet leadership more listening less shouting and trying to be the one who gets the attention less trying to be something i'm not just because the dominant culture says a certain way of being is desirable i've been described as quiet introverted and the dreaded shy more times than i can count and it's okay to be those things my voice is needed and so is yours no matter its volume our voices can be heard in ways that come through without trying to be something we aren't. You can make a positive difference in the world by being who you already are. Claiming who you are helps you do this. So I kind of covered that, but is there yeah. anything else you'd like to say about that? You know, I just want to say to anybody listening to, you know, be who you are. It's not easy to do this. You know, it's easy to say those words, but yeah. it is far harder to you know, do that every single day. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in my experience, it's it's worth it. You know, it just mm-hmm. keep embracing who you are, even if you're quiet, even if you're shy. <laughs> I hated being called shy <laughs> when I was little. Um, but you know what? It's fine. Shy people, <laughs> you, you are wonderful and needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of plays into the thing I'm going to ask you about next, which the words you use are treating our ruts like a lifeboat. Uh, and you encourage the reader to find ways of observing. Little, I'm getting my merge mixed. Encouraging mm-hmm. the reader to find ways of observing ourselves and making adjustments. And so mm-hmm. um, it, it's right along the same lines of getting comfortable with who you are. And yeah. is there anything you like to say or unpack with regards to that? Hmm. Well, I think so. That that whole chapter kind of sprung out of both observing myself and then working with Mm -hmm. people in coaching relationship, because a lot of that work is helping Mm -hmm. people notice their own patterns and then start to take small actions to shift the ones that aren't serving them well. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times you have to spend, 
you know, a, a period of, of time just looking at what you're doing without changing anything, which can be hard because <laughs> you want to yeah. change everything right away. But at first, it, it can really help to just observe yourself. Say, okay, this, this is what I do. These are my tendencies. These are my patterns mm-hmm. without judging them. Because mm-hmm. once you add judgment in, then that just makes you want to change them right away. Mm. Um, and then, you know, after you've spent some time really looking at what's going on, then you can start to take those small actions to shift, shift the current to, to serve mm. you better. Or, you know, step out of it, it completely, if, if necessary, if things really aren't going how they need to go. On page 69, you use a word that you use in the book, and it's rewilding. Of mm-hmm. course, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm fond of that word. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm convinced that rewilding is another way to say simplifying. Mm-hmm. And I love this point. Um, would you like to speak into that? Yeah. So, you know, rewilding is just, it, to me, means living in a way that is inspired by how the natural world is you know Mm. things of nature don't complicate themselves they just are as they've evolved Um, so Mm -hmm. I try to have that as a kind of a model for for how to live and just try to do as much as is necessary but not too much you know there's a Swedish word that speaks to that it's the word is legome it means not too much just enough that's the general essence of it you know, as I say in that chapter, to get by with what I have and lessen my contributions to the growth of the economy, since we do live on a finite planet. So mm-hmm. living in a way that supports all of life, but also my own. And so rewilding is kind of getting back to ourselves as part of nature instead of mm-hmm. the overseers of it that are somehow separated out of nature. Right. Um, there's some ideas out there that, you know, well, we're supposed to have dominion over nature that kind of puts us on the outs with it or or sort of above Mm -hmm. and against it and then simplifying and rewilding would be like you're you're cooperating and becoming more simplified like nature is more simplified in in its Mm -hmm. natural way yeah i always like the the phrase you know we are not in nature we are what nature is doing since we're part of the world's ecosystem, not that we're always doing things that help our own ecosystem, clearly. Um, But, you know, when you really zoom out, we are part of the Earth's body, you know, we're we're part, we are animals, just like squirrels. (laughs) So we just have a little bit more power (laughs) to have wielded our power in a way that isn't always helpful. And I think us and cats were the most invasive species. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I love cats. cats take over a place, but we really do a great job of taking over and kind of a <laughs> sprawl. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> this is the time to share some kind of final thoughts, but um, you can either share final thoughts about the book, or maybe there's some recent wisdom you've learned from the wild places something Mm. you're up to that is exciting you or making you think what would you like to share with listeners maybe i'll i might read just a little bit of the introduction to invite folks in Um, but before i do that so this week i've just really been paying attention to the shift of the seasons i'm in minnesota Mm. um, so it's gotten cold the leaves are down we have a little lake out back and it just froze 
basically last night solid. Um, so a couple days before we had 15 trumpeter swans, they're, they're moving through um, and they were on the open water. And then yesterday it was half frozen and we had 40 trumpeter swans out there just honking and eating in the water, just kind of hanging out. And then they all left in a big cloud of honking um, in the afternoon and now the lake is frozen over. Um, so all that to say is that I'm just trying to be really mindful of, of observing the shifts. And as I do that, I want to continue shifting in my own life to, you know, be fully present and using my life in a way that adds to a positive shift, essentially, a shift that the world needs. All that being said, I'll, I'll just read a couple of paragraphs from the introduction as a bit of an invitation. So from the intro to of Collisions of Earth and Sky. The pages that follow are a bit of a winding trail, full of opportunities for self-inquiry and reflection. It's a trail that meanders through myriad topics and landscapes, and it's one full of questions. I hope you, my fellow traveler on this journey of living, will move a few more steps toward more fully embracing your own creatureliness, your own pace in this great web we all share, and let that be a foundation even when there are more questions than answers. Perhaps you'll even discover a few things you didn't know were missing by hiking with me through these pages. I hope through truth-telling and having compassion for yourself and your fellow beings that you'll find your way to live the questions with nature as your guide. Because when we let nature inform that self-inquiry and reflect on what comes up when we do, Little by little, we uncover the parts of ourselves that can best contribute to the healing of the world. Beautiful, thank you, Heidi. Mm -hmm. Now you do a newsletter and I want people to be able to find you and get onto that newsletter. Could you tell people where they can do those things? Yep, so my just my hub is HeidiBar.com and then the newsletter is HeidiBar.substack.com. You can find that on the main website. And then you can find me on Facebook. I'm Heidi Bar Writer. And then Instagram, it's Heidi C. Bar. So, yes, listeners, this is worth your experience to slow down, take your time with Heidi's book. And it's worth your experience in kind of a way that's hard to describe because it is sort of like nature. It'll like kind of take you mm -hmm. in and change you like in a way that nature does, like kind of sneaks up on you and you, you know, <laughs> you, yep. you, it soaks in, like kind of soaks into you. So this is beautiful. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.